Blog Talk Radio. piano concerto at the age of 11. Thomas Jefferson was then 24 years old and just being admitted to the Virginia Bar. Wilson Moses is an historian. He's written seven major historical books. The first six concerned American slavery and Afro-American history, his very first in 1978 being The Golden Age of Black Nationalism. So when he told me he was working on a book about Thomas Jefferson, my reaction was, hmm, that's a bit off the beaten path. But now, having read the book, I understand. Thomas Jefferson's entire life was enmeshed irrevocably with slavery. His existence depended on slavery. His success came from slavery. He grew up with them. He inherited them. He used them. He bought and sold them. He slept with them, had children with them. His legacy is forever entangled with slavery. That being said, this book is a biography of the mind of Thomas Jefferson, how he thought, why he thought as he did, and how his actions in life stemmed from this thinking. Wilson, welcome. How am I doing so far? Well, you're doing great. Um, as um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Thanks well, I've, I've made it clear that we know each other. Forty-nine years ago, I had just returned from service in Vietnam and wanted desperately to understand what I had just witnessed between black and white American soldiers, so I ended up in an Afro-American history class at the University of Iowa. It was taught by Wilson Moses. I bet I was one of the best students you ever had, right? Well, you know, you were. Although my best students were always girls, I'm afraid. Um, and um, maybe I was just biased. But, uh, yeah, you did, well, anyway, you did pretty we, good for a boy. Oh, thanks. Anyway, we stayed in touch and have become honest and legitimate friends, no? Uh, no question about it. So to the book. The book's title is Thomas Jefferson, A Modern Prometheus. What's Prometheus got to do with it? Well, uh, I... I the book the book is written in a very sarcastic tone although I don't I think I think you're probably one of the few people who mention it but I'm going over it a little bit today for the first time in 2 years some of it and um I realized that yeah I I really was being awfully sarcastic on just about every page um because I I see life as being as being very ironic I guess so yeah sort of like I guess that's the influence that comes from having been an English major and uh, so I, um, I, I recognized that uh, Jefferson uh, had been around at the time that Mary Shelley wrote a book called Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. And I thought to myself, you know, um, Jefferson, Jeff, what Jefferson had done as, as president, he had unleashed a kind of a Frankenstein monster. 
And this Frankenstein monster um, was the um, what we today would call, uh, I suppose, Trumpism. But um, but Prometheus was the god among the Greeks. He was he was a titan. He was not really a. Um, he wasn't really. He was a, he was from that generation of gods that preceded the Greek pantheon of gods. And he is, according to some of the ancient Greek writers, he is the creator of man. Now, not every Greek writer agreed on that, but, um, but many people at the time of Jefferson did, in fact, see Prometheus as the god who created man. Other people say he was the god who gave man the gift of fire. For giving man the gift of fire, he was punished by Zeus, the king of the gods, he was chained to a rock, and a vulture would come and tear out his liver every day, and then it would grow back at night, and then it would come out and tear out his liver every day. And that was the, that was the punishment that Prometheus uh, was, um, was made to suffer for having given mankind the light. Well, of course, Jefferson really saw himself as a light-bearer, he felt that uh, his doctrines, as, it's, as he had given them in the Declaration of Independence, were not simply to be, he didn't see these simply as something he had written um, for the uh, purposes of declaring independence. Well, at the time he did, nobody thought that it was all that important. But as time went by, and he came to be known as the person who had written the Declaration of Independence, he began to exploit this more and more, and so and so. Finally, that he he wanted that on his tombstone. He didn't want anything about being president on his tombstone. He didn't want anything about being um, about uh, the Louisiana Purchase. Those things were unimportant. What was really important is that he was the father of the nation. But not only the father of the nation, he had brought enlightenment to the whole world with this Declaration of Independence. And so, and and he, and he did a beautiful job, a brilliant job, of engineering himself into that position, because here was a guy who had never fought in the American Revolution, hadn't really taken any risks the way George Washington had, and yet, and yet he had made himself into the most important uh, person in the American Revolution. So that, this is this is an indicate this is the kind of genius that we have seen in. Maybe we've seen this in the presidency recently, this ability to just take hold of a, di- of a discourse and control it and, for pe- and people to fall for it. Well, let's talk about this. That, that, that's his claim to fame. But when he wrote, all men are created equal, and that's what this is all about, yeah. he and his peers, he and his peers understood at the time that women were not included, Indians were not included. Slaves certainly were not included. In fact, only white men and white men of property at that were meant to be included. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he made that very clear, uh, and he didn't wait all his life to make it clear. He wrote a book, um, and I, I noticed you put it at your website, Notes on the State of Virginia, and he made it very clear that he understood that there were differences in the abilities among among white people. Uh, and that, and that, um, and that. In fact, he he he, were, he were recommended a, a school system. His school system that he recommended, and which he felt the taxes should support, would would be based on on picking out to make sure we understood which kids were brighter than others, so that they could be educated at a higher level. 
He was he was very well, clear about that, but he didn't think all children were equally endowed. We had to find out which <laughs> ones were more endowed so that we could they give them a raked. higher level of education. The rest we they would have educate. to be raked from the rubbish. Raked from the rubbish, and the rubbish, and those at the bottom would be taught to be contented with their state of life. And this is this. So this was this. He he made that clear. Well, I with you know within with, within a decade of when he wrote the declaration, but but there's a brilliant series of letters that it was changed. I mean, every American who who likes literature should read them. A brilliant series of letters that he exchanged with John Adams. Uh, in uh, in the fall of of 1813, in which they debated this whole, they discussed this whole question of what Jefferson called the natural aristocracy, and uh, and uh, Adams and he had 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 a difference of opinion on what constituted the, nat- the natural aristocracy, but they were both agreed that there was a an aristocracy. It's just that um, Jefferson said that this was this had to do only with natural endowments of mental, uh, whereas. Uh, Whereas Adams said it has to do with more than that. He said, he said some people, some people just, some people's genius. He used the word from the Bible. He used the word talents. But some people's genius, he said, might be just the um, ability to, um, sort of like Bluto in that movie uh, with um, uh, about Popeye. Uh, yeah, well, not the movie Popeye, but the one with uh, John. Um, um, uh, the, the guy who used to be on Laugh In, and they made Animal. a movie about about campus. It was about campus life and about this fraternity that this guy belonged, these guys belonged to, and his name was Bluto. And the thing about him was he was just one hell of a good guy. Any time there was a, there was um, some pot to be smoked, any time there was a bottle, uh, you know, a can, uh, a um, you know, a beer, a can of beer to be cracked. I mean, he was always there, and. And just being that kind of guy, the kind of guy who was a good guy to party with, was one hell of a talent to have. And it could give you a tremendous amount of power in politics. And I think, and, and, and John Adams, who, you know, was a little smarter than Jefferson, um, which is saying a lot because Jefferson was smart, <laughs> uh, recognized that, um, that, that, there was a, that, there was, that there were many kinds of genius, but the genius for leadership the genius just to get people, the genius to get time on CNN, you know, <laughs> being able to, how do you get MSNBC and CNN to cover you every day? That's genius. And that yeah. was the kind of genius that Jefferson had. Well, well back to the Declaration. Uh, many years later, uh, actually only, what, 35 years or 30 years later after Jefferson's death, it was Abraham Lincoln who yep. made those words, all men are created equal, into full bloom. He made them the universal meaning that we share today rather than the sole realm of, of only rich white men. And you say that Lincoln knew what Jefferson meant by them, so he knew he was changing them. Lincoln, Lincoln was one crafty guy, but the first person to do this, it, was already, it had already been done by Andrew Jackson, for whom Lincoln had a tremendous amount of respect. We know Andrew Jackson only for one thing, he, he, the things he did to my Cherokee ancestors. But that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't all of Andrew Jackson. Uh, he didn't just fight duels and, and, and scalp Indians. He, um, he had a very important impact on, the cons, on cons, American constitutional history, and, Jefferson, and, and Lincoln built on this. And, uh, but it, and it was during the Jackson administration 
that, uh, and it was through Jacksonian uh, democracy, that the franchise was extended away from just the property classes, and and it and it became and it became and it was expanded to include uh, ordinary guys in coonskin caps, and even ordinary guys who lived in the slums of New York. So that was that was that was a very that was a major step. In, in taking us in the direction that Lincoln was going. Now, Lincoln extended it to include black people, but Andrew Jackson included it, extended it to include, to include ordinary white guys. Hello? Uh-oh, we lost connection. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Am well, I there? For a moment, I didn't. Oh, okay. Uh, let's, let's go back to... Uh... Uh, uh, let's find out who, who, let's go into who was this guy. One of your sources said, and I quote, Jefferson could calculate an eclipse, survey an estate, tie an artery, plan an edifice, try a cause, break a horse, dance a minuet, and play the violin. Give us an encapsulation of where and how he was born, how he grew up, why he developed the way he did. Well, Jefferson, uh, Je- Jefferson. There, there are you. You got you got two types. You got you got this. You've got these wonderful mythologies that you have about Jefferson. The other one is Leonardo da Vinci. Um, you can go to websites and see pictures of helicopters and diving bells and say Leonardo da Vinci invented those things. Of course, he didn't. You know, Leonardo never invented an airplane. But that's okay. That's, Leonardo was given credit for inventing the airplane. Jefferson, Jefferson. Um, Jefferson um, tried to uh, calculate an eclipse, but he wasn't as good at that. You know, Christopher Columbus knew how to calculate an eclipse, and so did Hernando Cortez. And there were a lot of people who did. Uh, Jefferson, Jefferson made an attempt at it, but, but he, wasn't, he wasn't quite successful. Um, he, um, he, uh, I don't know where, where, where they got the idea he knew how to tie, tie an artery. But Jefferson lived in the, in the age of the dilettante. There were a lot of people who were highly educated and knew a lot of things. You know, one of the most underestimated intellects of the time was King George III, who, um, who incidentally gave his library to the British people. He didn't sell it to them to get himself out of debt. George III gave his library to the British people. We'll be, um, we'll, be getting to his, we'll be getting to the debt part of things, but fr- from the book I get that, that uh, Jefferson's lifelong dream of a perfect society was of uh, self-reliant farms. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, see, um, yeah, he did. He, he, he had this idea, which later uh, Chairman Mao picked up in China, that the real virtue is, is in the is in the farming people. But that's a very old idea. That idea had been around for a long time, uh, both not only in the West but in China and elsewhere on Earth. The idea that the that the people, well, the salt of the earth. And um, and Jefferson. Yeah, he um, thought farming was linked somehow to morality, and that America would would never run out of land. And and he believed in land for all, except his agrarian dream depended on the appropriation of Indian lands. Yeah, and not only that, you see, he he never used that word agrarian because agrarian, for him and for Thomas Paine and for most of his contemporaries, uh, referred very specifically to to to, cert, to certain cases in Roman law. Uh, so, but he did believe. Yes, he did. When they, when so, when you use the word agrarian, what you meant was that you were going to that you were going to redistribute land, and uh, and 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 that and that was that would have been. In other words, it, it was very close to what we today would call socialism. 
Uh, now, Thomas Paine understood that we were running out of land and there wouldn't always be enough land. And, and so that was why Thomas Paine came up with, these, with this idea. He was the first person to come up with the idea of, of a guaranteed annual income and Social Security. Uh, Jefferson, Jefferson um, thought that, uh, that it would be possible to, to always, yes, uh, have land. Now, part of the reason why he, the, the re, he was very fair, incidentally, in his attitude about appropriating Indian land, you see, it was, it was all one thing. Land should be used for farming. And, and uh, he was very hostile to Marie Antoinette because she owned a lot of land and she used it for hunting. And you shouldn't use land for hunting. You should use land for farming. And so, so the Indians, they were just as bad as Marie Antoinette. They were just as bad as the French aristocrats because they were misusing land. They were using it for, for hunting. And you were supposed to use land for farming. Uh huh. So now you had you already mentioned the notes on the state of Virginia, and and you said in in the book uh, and, uh, you 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 said a powerful and voracious intellect was everywhere evident in the notes. Is that about the only thing he ever wrote for publication? Uh, for publication, yes. Uh, now he did write. Uh, uh, he did a lot of writing. He wrote a lot of stuff that was intended for. Uh, I think he wrote a. Um, Oh geez, he he wrote uh, a parliamentary book for Congress, and uh, he, there were other things that he wrote, but that was. But his the, own uh, writings seem to be yeah. few, except for the letters. Yeah, yeah. Well, he I think he 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 definitely intended that his um that that many of his journals would uh, would be would be published eventually. He wrote those with in, with in mind that they would be that they would someday be used to. Um, to discredit um, his his contemporary enemies, and I think there's good evidence of that, so that he 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 reported lots of rumors in these um, in his in his private in his private uh, autobiographical writings, such as the rumor that Tom, that that George Washington didn't believe in the divinity of Christ, or rumors about um, that um, that Hamilton was a, really a royalist, and he so he he put lots of things in there, and he was pretty hopeful that those would eventually be published, I'm, I'm certain. Many people He seemed so. to be, yeah, I, the impression I get about him is that he, he seemed to be a, an, an artful backbiter. Uh, uh, you say that he was living proof that empiricism did not suddenly triumph with the dawn of enlightenment. You, you said you thought he'd, he'd better fit a, a medieval man. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I think that everything, everyone speaks about his um, reverence for Locke, Bacon, and Newton. Uh, we have to remember that New Newton was a 17th century figure. He lived into the, tw into the 18th century. I think he died in 1720. But his, his contributions were, in the, were pretty much of the 17th century, as were Locke's. Um, and Bacon, of course, was, it was even earlier. But, but, but the problem here with, um, with, with Jefferson is that is that uh, he, he, he was not a man of the 18th century. Uh, he, his interactions with, for example, in the area of mathematics, um, his, his, his mathematics were Newtonian. And by the time, and, but there was a man who was born just a few years after Jefferson, uh, a Frenchman named Laplace, who corrected, who corrected a lot of the problems in Newton's astronomy. And some people call him the French Newton. You find almost no references. I think in all of Jefferson's uh, letter, papers, there's only nine references to Laplace, and, and he doesn't say anything about him. But Laplace was the one who showed 
that um, that the hand of God that 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 He showed He was able to demonstrate the uh, why the planets didn't fall into the sun, and Newton hadn't been able to do that. He he said, well, it must be the hand of God, and and Jefferson Jefferson had this this so and the other thing about it was Bacon said you know, these ideas about scientific method, but Jefferson simply did not didn't understand. He never made any contributions to scientific method in the way that Galileo had. Uh, or in the way that yeah. Benjamin Franklin did. You know, Benjamin Franklin didn't just fly a kite. In fact, he may never yeah. have fly, flown a kite. But 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 Franklin uh, designed experiments, and uh, and he and he uh, developed theories of um, of electricity that are still with us today. Where, uh, but yeah. Jeff, Jefferson was not a scientist in that sense. Well, you say that Jefferson. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. You say that Jefferson's ideas were petrified in theological sediment throughout his life and and then yeah. I, I put a note here i put a note here the great chain of being was he a religious man was he a god-fearing man jefferson was was um jefferson was a person who who had a great deal of respect for religious inquiry he studied religion he studied catholic theologians he studied protestant theologians. he did not he did not study jewish theologians as as many of his, as some of his contemporaries did, he he, he dismissed Jewish theology, uh, and and refused to study it. And Adams 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 questioned him about that. Uh, uh, he he he, uh, but he did he did study Catholic theology, um, and he um, he believed that um, he he wasn't sure whether or not the soul was immortal. He he. Um, he believed that there was a God. He wasn't quite sure about the immortality of the soul. Uh, in that, uh, he said, he said, if Moses, and he, he wasn't very fond of the Old Testament, but he said, he said, it's very strange that Moses never said anything about the immortality of the soul, if, since that was supposedly so important to him. But he did, he, did, he did reflect on the idea that God worked in history, as Newton did. And if Newton intervened to keep the planets from falling to the sun, then God might very well intervene in human affairs to to see that that we behaved towards one another with justice. So so let's, let's uh, religion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm. There. There. There's a lot here to cover, and we're not going to be able to to touch upon it all. But I do want to turn to the, the 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 permeating uh, reality throughout his life: slavery. Uh, I some some of the uh, you you had mentioned that some of the early biographies in the 1800s about him were very negative and critical and made a big deal out of his consorting with female slaves. Um, there, there. Well, you know the thing about the thing about um, the history of sexuality that I find so interesting is that um, it's very difficult to write. And, and and my attempts to to read in that field, I have found I have found frustrating. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I recently there was there was a controversy in which um, a young woman I know uh, said something about putting people to death for homosexuality. But the fact is, well, you know, throughout history, homosexuality has always had a very strange kind of relationship. It's always been present. It's just sometimes it is ignored and sometimes it isn't. 
and the same thing with with um, with infidelity. The same thing. The same thing with the uh, relationship that you might have with a slave concubine. Now there was some talk recently about about um, the the involvement of Georgetown University in slavery, and some people were were talking about um, what Georgetown University owed to black people because of its involvement in slavery. Well, what they forgot about was that Georgetown was the, first, was the first university back in the 1880s to have a black president. The only thing is, it was one of those, um, you know, um, uh, Megan-type Megan black. I mean, he was a black president, but he didn't look black. But see, there was this guy down there in Virginia who had a concubine, a slave. She was his slave, and he couldn't marry her, so she was technically his slave. He had six. He had six ba- six babies with his slave. This guy, the guy's name was Healy. Now, those six babies, he was he was Irish, and so all six of those little Irish babies became priests and nuns, except for one who became a ship captain. One of those one of those babies, one of those little uh, um, babies, became a became the bishop of of Portland, Maine, and another one became the president of Georgetown University. So, so okay, there back, again, you see the question: to... What is slavery? What is slavery? Back to Jefferson and slavery and, and even the Declaration. Samuel Johnson on yeah. the Declaration, uh, I, I found this quote interesting that you've got in your book. How is it that we hear the loudest yelps for liberty among the drivers of Negroes? You say you know, the Jeffersonian. You say Jeffersonian republicanism always rested squarely on the factory floor, where black boys and girls were among its indispensable workers. Yeah. Well, first of all, about the Declaration, um, that that was a, that was a mistake on my part. It, what, he wasn't reacting to the Declaration. He was reflecting to. He was reacting to a different document that Jefferson had produced, and which went through two editions in England. And that was the uh, summary view of the rights of British North America. That's what that's what Johnson was re- re- reacting to, not uh-huh. the Declaration, because actually okay. yeah, it was it was before the Declaration that he that he that he wrote those words. But he was re- but but he certainly had Jefferson in mind, and he was re- he was reacting to the Continental Congress where Jefferson had drawn up um, these protests against the British government. Um, but the, but Jefferson's pamphlet had been had gone through two editions in in, in England. By the time, um, by the time uh, Johnson wrote those words, um, I'm wondering, uh, I, and I, I'm wondering if you can tell me the answer to this. The, the British were in the slave trade for quite a while. Did they ever keep personal slaves for themselves at home in Britain? Oh yeah, but it, it wasn't that important. Um, it was, um, you know, what's very interesting. Um, uh, 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 something you, you probably know about because I think I've mentioned it to you before. But you know, the Afrocent- my Afrocentric brothers and sisters who are always trying to find evidence of African influences in history make a great be- big deal about the appearance of George III's wife. They claim that she was another Meghan Markle, that she was she was really she was really a very light-skinned mulatto. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that. <laughs> you you can go online all, all over the web and find people making that claim, but um, but actually, um, yeah yeah there were people, but but this is sort of what the Germans called the Hofmoor, the the court the court moor. You might have a very pretty if you had a really pretty very black very black who was person was very black but also very pretty. Uh, you would you would you would it was nice to have them around and. Um, 
you know, they would serve they would serve your chocolate on a silver platter. See, and uh, this, was, this was quite fashionable uh, in the well, 18th Jefferson, yeah. Jefferson, uh, uh, I mean, did he actually think that the blacks were a link between apes and whites? He certainly gave that impression in Notes of the State of Virginia uh, when he talked about the um, the orangutan uh, who would who would attack the uh, the uh, black woman. Of course, you see, uh, orangutans are only are, o- are native only to Indonesia and Malaysia, and uh, I don't know where an orangutan would have found a black woman yeah. uh, in yeah. the 18th century. That's where you talk about his lack of his lack of empiricism. But he, you know, he always talked about relocating slaves. But yeah. he knew such could never be afforded or paid for. So was it, was it just lip service? Yeah. Um, in fact, you see, no one, no one has ever he, – he said in notes in the state of Virginia that he had, that he had introduced this bill. But, but if, you go, if you go to um, the most scholarly sources uh, where all of these people – and I'm talking about people who start working on Jefferson when they're, when they're 22, you know, when they first go to graduate school – and who and then who spend their entire life working on Jefferson until they die, and no one has ever been able to find this 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 document that he is supposed to have had introduced to the Virginia legislature. Was was so, this the um, the amendment to the bill of 1777? I think that you may you may I don't have that date at my fingertips, but I think that's what I said. Yeah. Well, but that no you know has, after. That that was just a year after he wrote these words, "All men are created equal." But then they came up with this 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 bill in in Virginia, 1777, that there would be no more imports of slaves into Virginia. And and supposedly Jefferson was trying to posture that you know isn't this great? You know we're gonna we're gonna stop slavery. But in in reality, it was just economic because they wanted to keep the the prices for slaves up. In, in yeah, Virginia. Virginia. Virginia was opposed to um, to the to, to the continuing the slave trade. Georgia and South Carolina were were in favor of it, and that was a debate that went on in the con- in the Constitutional Convention. Uh, and uh, James Madison said James Madison was honest enough to say that um, uh, in in one of his letters, I think it was to Jefferson, that that we're we're being accused of hypocrisy because everyone knows. That, um, that 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 we Virginians don't want any more s- slaves, and the people in Georgia and South Carolina do, and it's creating some problems here uh, in drafting. Yeah, this but country. that was all a, that was all a big lie because they 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 did want more slaves because they put in the wording that the uh, quote the descendants of the females among them for all of those uh, uh, Virginia slaves the, the the descendants of the females would forever be slaves they'd be born into yeah. slavery well see those are the ones they already owned and they could they, yeah. that and and but 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 as long as see as long as you own them already see then you can see see that this is if you really want to understand the problems of the first bank of the united states you have to you have you have to what, what we have to understand is that is that the in virginia they they did they were so opposed, they were opposed to paper money and so everything was done on the on the basis of bills of trade so you wrote bills based on your based on your holdings and these were and these were your negotiable paper but slaves uh, were but collateral you, yeah your slaves were your collateral to back up to back up these these bills of these bills of trade and and they didn't want to have a bank of the united states they didn't want the bank issuing paper money they didn't want anything interfering with that system that they'd already so well established in in virginia 
So, so the slave. So, if you had slaves, and you know, some of the slaves, yes, they would produce. Uh, they would produce children, and you would sell those to South Carolina uh, at a higher. But of course, South Carolina would have to pay more for your slaves than they would for the slaves that the British were importing. In your book, you alluded to uh, original passages in the Declaration of Independence that were taken out, but right. were on the subject of slaves. Well, that was on, that was on the subject of the slave trade. Yeah, he, he really came down on King George and blamed King George for American slavery. And he said, you know, all, all, all the horrors of slavery. And you know, what, was so, what was so bad about it is that Jefferson, see, Jefferson was in debt his entire, his entire adult life, mainly we'll because he had, he had assumed, uh, uh, foolishly, assumed the debt of, of, his, of his wife, who, and his wife, his, of his wife's, of his father-in-law. And his father-in-law had just lost a, a whole lot of money because one of his slave ships had, had lost half the cargo and had to be th- the, half, the, half the people had to be thrown overboard because they died on the, in, the, in, the, in the middle passage. And so, and so Jefferson was left with that, with that debt, uh, for, for the, and he never got out from under that debt uh, it, for the rest of his life. And so, and so Jefferson was was um, Jefferson was was intimately involved in the slave trade. Actually, all of his problems stem, stemmed from that one bad uh, voyage, that one bad slave trader's voyage that his that his father-in-law had engaged in. And and so, but he's very hypocritical then to be blaming blaming the king for the slave for the international slave trade, when actually he himself was tied to it and could never extricate himself from it. We're talking about being in debt, uh, and let's get to his nailery. Uh, he, he, he had a little manufacturing plant on Monticello, something he needed to, to remain solvent because farming wasn't doing it for him. So, so even though he, he'd al- he's already stated that the ideal American would never be bound to a job, indicating right. he was opposed opposed to manufacturing. Here he was with his own little factory making nails and temporizing that every honest employment is considered honorable. But he admitted that his nailery was composed of a, quote, a dozen little boys from 10 to 16 years of age. Not just slavery, but child slavery. Yeah, um, they, 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 were, they, were that, they were, mostly they were teenagers. Uh, and but but you know what you found there is something that a lot of people don't like to to accept. There's a lot of hostility and violence among those kids. I mean, you know, slavery does not bring out the best in you. And although we have these wonderful, loving stories about the slave community, uh, this, his factory itself showed you how how the slaves were involved in self hatred and violence among themselves. But but um, but yeah, Jefferson Jefferson could could preserve the white population because he was using slaves. Uh, in, in his factory, but what, what every really, now and then, I'm yeah. sorry. Every now and then, every now and then, you 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 have a, a turn of phrase that that catches me, and I and I write it down whole. And and uh, matter of fact, I'm going to end the show with one of those. But but uh, here's here's one. Maybe you could elaborate on quote. Also invisible were the shadows of black children laboring in the darkness of Jefferson's forge. Yeah, well, yeah, they he he did. There was there were there was the uh, the forge too, where they would cut the uh, 
these these rods into into nails. So it's very interesting, as Jefferson was critical of Adam Smith, and Adam Smith's opening opening is to talk about how you make pins or nails, and Jefferson is involved in making nails. Uh, and I don't you know I don't think anyone has ever commented on the irony of that. Jefferson is so critical of Adam Smith for placing industrial labor at the core of his wealth of nations. And yet, um, and yet, and and of course, Jefferson is trying to. But see, Jefferson, Jefferson was uh, Jefferson's genius. He was not a. He was, he didn't have any, uh, like someone else I can think of who's been in American presidential history recently was a lousy businessman, but brilliant at being able to borrow money, and to maintain an opulent lifestyle. And yeah. and see, George Washington. Now, George Washington, on the other hand, was an excellent businessman. He came out of the, he came out of the out of the war and went back to, to Mount Vernon and turned it into a money making enterprise. It was a beehive of activity. I mean, it had industry, it had it had agriculture, it had everything. And also, George Washington was in favor of a bank, by the way. But George Washington was a brilliant businessman. Uh, Jefferson well, Jefferson was, was supposed. Jefferson supposedly was was known as an inventor. He had many inventions that he had made there at Monticello. I'm I'm curious. How many of what do you think? How many of his inventions were truly his, and how many of them probably came from his slaves? Well, the, the most most of his inventions were like were like those of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci learned about some of these some of these inventions uh, from 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 the fact that a lot of Arabic texts were being translated at the time, and uh, and when they became available in in, in Italian, uh, da Vinci would read them. He was a very he was a very uh, very highly intelligent guy. He read widely. Uh, he adopted a lot of he adopted and he and he and he was and he and he, and he was and he was very careful. One thing about da Vinci was, however, he was he was much more empirical. He would sit on the hillside and actually observe and take notes on the flight of birds. Um, Jefferson was not empirical in that sense, but but he didn't he, he didn't invent he didn't invent much of anything. Uh, he um, he he did he did make a, a coding a machine, but that had been invented before. He he simply, he worked from from things that other people had invented prior to him. He invented a plow, and so did George Washington. By the way, George Washington's plow was much more successful. It wasn't commercially successful, but what is it imitated and made use of by other people? George Washington was actually better than than, than Jefferson as an inventor. You called you called Jefferson's slaves the children of Sisyphus. What do you mean by that? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, in Greek mythology, uh, Sisyphus was a person who had to push a uh, who had to push a rock up to the top of a hill, and as soon as he got to the top of the hill, it would fall down again. And he would have to push it up again the next day. But but I was also making an allusion to to a um, to a book written by a very brilliant uh, professor of sociology uh, named Orlando Patterson, who um, who teaches at Harvard, and who's and who's written some of the best work on slavery that um, that has been written. And um, uh, incidentally, he wrote and he wrote and he wrote two novels. One of the novels is called The Children of Sisyphus, and one of them is about a person about a person who was free and chose to go back to the state of slavery because some slaves are better off than some free people. Of course, Patterson, of course, is writing with a tremendous sense of irony with his tongue in his cheek. But Patterson, but Patterson's uh, novel, The Children of Sisyphus, was what um, inspired my my that turn of phrase. We we really can't leave this subject without bringing up Sally Hemings. Yeah, she was better off than a lot of than a lot of women at that time. 
and um, see, uh, what, we don't know struck much me? about her. What we struck don't know, me? The only Wilson. woman in Jefferson's life that we know much about was um, um, uh, Cosma, Maria Cosway, because she had a life of her own. She was a very bright woman. Uh, she, was, she, was, she was denigrated and dragged down and made to look stupid in this book by, um, by the guy who's always on MSNBC, John Meacham, who is a good, who's a very bright guy, but, who, um, but I think he, he was very unfair to Maria Cosway. We know something well, about We with... don't know about Jefferson's wife, and we don't know anything about Sally. But, but we do know the, the the thing I found fascinating is it, it seems that there there seems to be a strong uh, academic belief that Sally Hemings and 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 the and Jefferson's wife Martha had the same daddy. Well, the a uh, person who has done uh, the the person who has been most important in 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 validating that. Uh, is uh, Annette Gordon Reed, who teaches at the at the Harvard University Law School, and she um, she 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 did not do anything. Uh, she did she was she wasn't able to do much in establishing the father the mother the fatherhood of uh, Sally Hemings, but she did um, she did um, as a matter of fact uh, make a very make a very strong case as a lawyer for um, for the for Thomas Jefferson's being the father, and I would say. Uh, she she has given me permission to claim it as my own that uh, that the uh, genetic evidence was just uh, icing on the cake. That uh, I think that that she she um, she she made she made the lawyer's case for it. Uh, she probably could have, she probably could have won a case in court based on based on what she did, but she was standing on the shoulders and she admits this of Jefferson's biographer, very sympathetic biographer Dumas Malone. And Dumas Malone uh, was was very pro-Jefferson. In fact, he was the head of the, of the Monticello Mafia, and uh, and Malone, Malone was the one who established all those dates and and uh, and gave and provided uh, all this evidence about Jefferson's comings and goings and whether or not he could have been the father of those children. He established it. I do. Yeah. I do want to talk about the the uh, Monticello Mafia, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Right now, let's talk politics and accomplishments. You think the most important triumph of his politi- political career was the Louisiana Purchase? That really almost just fell in his lap, didn't it? Well, yeah. Um, the first person to make that point was um, John John Quincy John Quincy Adams' grandson, Henry Adams. He wrote. Um, uh, he, he, he was a very interesting guy um, who, who, who resigned his position on the Harvard faculty. Um, he, he, he was very, very, very influential historian and influenced me a great deal. Uh, and, um, and it's still considered one of the great classics of American, of American history as well as American literature is the uh, history of the uh, Jefferson administration. And, uh, yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it was due to um, Toussaint L'Ouverture, and the revolution in Haiti, that Napoleon uh, washed his hands of, um, of 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 Louisiana. See, he had he had he had intended to use Haiti as his base for maintaining control of these of these of these possessions. That that really, as far in fact, in fact, do you know that the that the Spanish did not give up their claims to Louisiana until something like while 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 we were at Iowa. It was it was, they, it was it was it was only after Franco died 
that um, that that they finally decided, okay, okay, Napoleon really did own. We won't go into that, but okay, Louisiana really does belong to the United States. The Spanish government <laughs> didn't acknowledge for a long time. Okay, now uh, the 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 term separation of church and state, I did not know. It's nowhere in the Constitution, but it's it's become a big deal in uh, in American uh, thought and language. Separation of church and state that came from Thomas Jefferson. That was in a letter he wrote to the Danbury clergy. They asked him to set aside a day of fast and abstinence, and he said, on the grounds of individual conscience, I can't do that. But the Constitution doesn't say anything about the relationship of um, the Constitution. Only says one thing. The Constitution says. If you Puritans up in New England want to make the want to make the Congregational Church the official church, and you want to tax your citizens to support it, we are we 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 cannot stick our nose into that. And if you people in Virginia want to make the Anglican Church the official church and tax people to support that church, Congress cannot stick its nose into that. And that's all the Constitution says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion because some states had an established church and other states didn't. And that's all the Constitution said. Okay, Paula, back to politics. He was, he was sneaky. He trashed George Washington for being uh, nearly feeble-minded for old age. Yet uh, yeah. he, was a year o- he was a year older when he was inaugurated, and he was a disloyal Secretary of State. Well, not only that, when he when he decided that he wanted to make Jeff, to make uh, Washington into a Unitarian, then suddenly Washington became this brilliant guy who had, who, see, who had um, so they tried to trick Washington into stating whether or not he believed in the divinity of Christ, and Washington gave them an evasive answer, and so Jefferson thought this was very very clever, and so he praised Jefferson as a sly he praised Washington as a sly old fox when he did that. But, but on the other hand, yeah, he he always took the position that that um, Hamilton had tricked tricked Washington because he was um, old and was losing it. Yeah, I mean he wasn't losing uh, it. Washington was running was running uh, Mount Vernon very very efficiently at the time he died, and Thomas Jefferson was not uh, was not running Monticello very efficiently. I find it interesting that he viewed the commercial class as having no country. Here we are today at the mercy of so many multinationals that certainly have no country. Yep, yep. Even well, back then, um, even back then uh, in, in politics, the likes and dislikes of businessmen were factors for political considerations. I was surprised. Yeah, well... There was always there was always this problem with the businessman. Americans have very very strange attitudes. You know, Americans hate Americans hate the royals, <laughs> but they they never hated Jackie Kennedy for inheriting wealth. But they but they hate Queen but they hate Queen Elizabeth for inheriting wealth. I mean, it's um it's very strange. And as far as yeah, as far as international business goes, I mean, here we've got an Aust- an Australian who runs uh, Fox. And and, and this person is not is not you know who became an American citizen uh, just so that they could uh, control the American have a big uh, influence on the American media, but no Americans Americans um, most most Americans after all you have to remember that fifty percent of any population are dumber than average. <laughs> Statistically, 
yeah. here's something I've really been wanting, really been wanting to talk about. I'm getting from your book that many believe Thomas Jefferson's views actually helped the southern states in their thinking about secession and contributed directly to the Civil War. Oh, yeah. See, Jefferson wrote this thing called the Virginia Resolution, uh, the Kentucky Resolution, uh, uh, back, back uh, I think, oh, geez, it was during the Adams administration. And, 1898. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, um, and see, what, what happened was that after Jefferson was dead, Madison still, still hung on for a long time, and so people would try to get, to get Madison to, um, uh, especially at the time when, when you ha- during the controversies of the Jackson administration, uh, people, people would uh, turn to Madison and, and try to get him to take sides on this issue based on the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions, which, which, were, which, were, manifestations of, which were manifestos of states' rights. And, um, and Madison, would always, Madison always responded by saying, look, if you really want to know what the Constitution stands for, then you've got to do your homework. You have to go back and look at the ratifying convention of every single state and see what were the issues. Well, who's going to do that? But that's, that was Madison's answer, and, I, and that shut them up. But, uh, but Jefferson, uh, yeah, Jefferson, you know, did, did, and there was, I'm not the one who came up with that idea. The person who really came up with that was a brilliant historian who never got a doctorate, uh, who, um, who came out of um, Harvard, and his name was Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, he was the one who, uh, who, who felt that Jefferson um, had, was the father of, um, of secession, that Jefferson's, wow. that Jefferson's positions were, 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 um, were, were very – I mean, he didn't suffer Jefferson very much. And um, although Teddy Roosevelt was a madman, I mean, he was just playing you – know, you, he could change his mind overnight. But, uh, <laughs> but he, he went on record many times as he didn't really care for Jefferson because Jefferson had um, – had uh, laid the groundwork for secession. Well, you call Thomas Jefferson one of America's most notorious debtors. Debts yep. he left were not fully paid off by his family until 1878. That's over 50 years after his death. Yeah, um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I found that. Uh, I can't remember where I got that. Yeah, but I, I found I was able to authenticate that. And um, yeah, Jefferson, Jefferson was. Uh, as I say, he's like someone who reminds you, remind you of um, recently, who uh, who has a reputation as a businessman, but whose ability was simply just simply to be able to continue to renegotiate his debt. Just it was just br- I mean, you've got to give people credit for genius where genius exists. Some people some people are like um, are like um, uh, you know Henry Ford. You know they produce a product. And and you and when you when you go to see the the basis of George of Henry Ford's wealth, I grew up in Detroit, and my gosh, you know, that Ford plant was the size of Iowa City, where you and I were for 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 a number of years. The Ford plant was was terribly impressive material wealth, uh, but but then you get you get other people, they they really just deal in paper or nowadays electronic money. Of course, you know, most people can't give you a definition of what money is, nor can they give you a definition of wealth, because they've never thought about it. But, um, but Jefferson, Jefferson uh, was able to, to manipulate debt um, very well, but just because he had this, this personality. He was a wonderful host. 
Uh, he was he was he 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 could really give um, give parties. He had wonderful. He was a lousy public speaker, but 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 in private conversation, he was brilliant. And, he kept uh, and his he creditors. Charming. He was gracious. You, say, he, you yeah. say he kept his creditors at bay partly by conspicuous consumption. That there was there was a book uh, called Winning Through Intimidation, which was published back back uh, back uh, during the seventies. And yeah, um, Winning Through Intimidation, uh, just by just by having this uh, you know this this beautiful place and this uh, and of, you see the other thing is he had these he had slaves that didn't work. Now it's very important that you <laughs> if you if you have if you have slaves that don't have to work, right? I mean that means that that that's that's a proof that's a that's a flagrant display of your wealth. If you've got slaves that don't have to do anything but just hold the bridle of your horse and say good morning, Marcia Jefferson, my God, you have a slave who doesn't do anything but French cooking. <laughs> you know, I mean people people are people are impre- and people are just plain impressed. People are impressed by people are impressed by uh, people who live well. If you're if you're handsome, if you dress well, if you've got um, if you've got a nice house, you know, people are impressed by that. And and he well, you gave us a, a brilliant, a brilliant you, you, understanding of psychology. Uh, you you gave us a choice, and I think you've already answered it uh, as to as to which he was. One, a financial incompetent. Two, a fiscal genius. Or three, a crafty embezzler. Which one do you think? Well, uh, I would say he was a um, mixture. I, I think sometimes I, I I become guilty of the same thing I accused Jefferson of hyperbole. Uh, Jefferson Jefferson was um, to some extent some extent we're all crafty embezzlers. If anybody who has any capital at all, anyone anyone who who who's able to live well uh, is is doing so on the basis of. Of, of their ability to 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 play ball and to work the system, and some people do that very well. Uh, in my parents' generation, there were some people who who knew how to go about, you know, owning a home and and um, living well, and they had social security. And once Salk invented the vaccine, my gosh, you know, life in America in the 1950s was wonderful. And Jefferson, I think, was was um, um, better than most at. Uh, at, at knowing how to um, to um, negotiate negotiate the society the world in which he lived, he was he um, he understood he understood his times in in many ways and he was a man of his times, and I think that's that's that that's a very good definition of genius. Uh, so I would say um, a crafty embezzler. Well, you know, um, when when Lincoln distorted uh, the, the the Declaration of Independence, wasn't he that? And, and what about uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt? I mean, he was a cra- any any president. You know, you get you get a good guy like Jimmy Carter. He just wasn't a very crafty embezzler. Speaking of FDR, you you say that the Thomas Jefferson preserved in the Jefferson Memorial is a creation of the New Deal. Furthermore, oh, yeah, I quote yeah. you. I quote you now. Yeah. The Jefferson the Jefferson Memorial stands as an antique temple deifying a graven image. Yeah, yeah, there's actually a graven image inside. You go and there's a big graven image, a uh, big bronze statue of Jefferson. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was that was see that that land was supposed to be used for Teddy Roosevelt's uh, memorial, and Franklin D. Uh, and his friends they decided that, that um, they had to have a southern strategy. So <laughs> the southern hero, see uh, Jefferson, and they put the uh, the memorial there, and that would um, that would um, be part of their southern strategy. Franklin huh. D. was a very clever guy. You know, he's a genius too. I, it's very difficult, you know, when I look at the various presidents of the United States, and I say most of them were geniuses. Uh, most, of them, most, of them, most of them were geniuses in the sense that they understood leadership. They understood, they understood how, to, how, to, how, to, how to get there first. They figured out how to get there in the first place. Um, and, then, and then once they got in there, they, they were able to keep the loyalty of, a, of, a, of enough people. I mean, I think, I, I, I just, I, you know, I don't have to agree with someone to admire that they're clever. I guess that's something I learned from being a black kid growing up on the east side of Detroit. I, I knew a lot of kids who never finished high school who were smarter than me. Huh. You know, there's an entire organization at Monticello whose mission is to maintain and protect the history and reputation of their great man, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned earlier that one of its nicknames is the Monticello Mafia, and yeah. that it has it has criticized and vilified others for their less than positive characterizations of Jefferson. I'm wondering, have you as yet received any such pushback from the Monticello Mafia? No, they uh, they they know me, <laughs> but. Uh, they know me, but they they decided that the best way of dealing with me is to ignore me. Okay. But, well, yeah, I know, just, I know, just, I know, I know, I know Jeanette, Jeanette, I know uh, Peter. Um, oh, and if I've had one review so far, and uh, they didn't, they didn't really deal with me. It dealt with how great. Um, see, after 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 um, after um, Duma Malone retired, then it was. The guy who who was a very excellent historian, named Merrill Peterson, and then after Peterson it was Onuf, and uh, I know the guy who's currently there. I can't think of his name right now, but we we were once colleagues. Uh, yeah, they know me, but uh, they're they're not. Um, they 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 have nothing to gain by attacking me. Nothing to gain by building me up. All right. Well, wrap, wrapping everything up here, Wilson. Uh, overall. And I mean, we've just barely touched on a whole bunch of stuff, but but wrapping up uh, uh, overall, uh, your your uh, your your overall assessment of Thomas Jefferson is that that despite everything else, he was a brilliant man. Oh yeah, now there's this guy at Stanford who actually estimated his IQ and made him smarter than Einstein. And that to talk about to talk about Jefferson's IQ is sort of like talking about uh, Michael Jordan's batting average, you know? I mean, you can't have an IQ if you never took the test. But, uh, but that, yeah. has, that, that doesn't stop a full professor at Stanford from, from, from creating an IQ for him. But, but I think aside from IQ, I think Jefferson could probably have got a doctorate in, um, in, in the hard sciences from MIT. I don't think there's a question about that. Um, I think... Um, I think because because after all he was not only very bright he was very hard working, and uh, and so I think he would have I think he would have been able to get a doctorate in any field from from um, from um, Harvard or MIT or Oxford or Cambridge, uh, uh, so uh, yeah I th- I mean, he was a bright guy 
He was a very bright guy. Now I don't I don't know the comparing to to did he know as much mathematics as a as a good freshman a good a good freshman at MIT knows more about mathematics than Jefferson did. But that's because of the state of mathematics at his time and the state of mathematics today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wilson, for sharing so much time with us, for sharing this book. As always, when dealing with you, I've learned new things. <laughs> and as always, I appreciate it. Well, I've, I've got a lot out of my relationship with you, and basically it's your, your willingness to listen uh, so much uh, uh, to... to uh, so much of my uh, my jive, which I spin off at all hours of 24 hours a day. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to your, your next endeavor. As far as the listeners, you, you can find this book uh, at the regular places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, university libraries. Uh, it's there, and it's rich with information about the great temporizer the author of the Declaration of Independence and the third president of the United States who was responsible for the Louisiana Purchase and who left uh, 50 years of personal debt and hundreds of unfreed slaves as well as generations of progeny from those very slaves. I quote the author directly. Oh, and, and, and this, this book, it's packed with stories and details we didn't even touch upon. But, but I quote the author directly regarding his subject, uh, Thomas Jefferson. The Declaration of Independence captures our imaginations in the same way as the first four notes of Beethoven's fifth. It is on that one work of genius that his reputation rests, and it is that one work that guarantees his place in history. Thomas Jefferson, a modern Prometheus. Wilson Jeremiah Moore. Yes, you're not.